Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschenau. On today's episode, Sean, Chris, and I discuss the 1987 photograph by American artist and photographer Andres Serrano titled Immersion and the effect that it in part had on public funding for the arts in the United States. Hey, Sean. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello. Hey, y'all. So, recently it was Easter, and when we were talking about what to do for the podcast, oftentimes those conversations circle around what sort of issues are relevant at the time, you know, if if there are any particular recognitions going on for the month, or if there are any particular anniversaries or holidays, and we we're coming up kind of blank for this first one before realizing that this episode would come out the Thursday following Easter. And so being a heathen, (laughs) I wanted to find a topic that uh, was connected to some sort of religious connected sort of issue. Uh, And a photograph came to mind, which I've been meaning to do some sort of deeper conversation about for a long time, but never, never have. So I thought that this would be a really excellent opportunity for it. And in the process might alienate some of our audience, which, you know, isn't that what we're always trying to do? (laughs) So this week we are talking about Andres Serrano's photograph immersion, better known as Piss Christ. It is a important work of contemporary American photography. It is a piece that is in some form or another still making the rounds. And we'll talk about why I have to add that caveat on um, a little while later. Um, But it is a piece that is sort of singularly controversial or gets a lot of, a lot of the controversy around what qualifies as art and what kind of art public dollars should support a lot of those conversations kind of get pinned to this particular piece. So to start, had either of you seen this piece before? Were you familiar with it at all? Vaguely. I hadn't seen it before, but I had, growing up in Oklahoma and spending time in Mississippi, this is something that was kind of like a part of, (laughs) I guess, kind of like an urban legend, like a Christian urban legend. (laughs) And... As I was mentioning to you earlier, like I had always thought that it wasn't a photo. I thought it was an actual statue of like, like a larger piece with a jar of urine with a crucifix dipped in it. Some sort of installation piece that you would directly interact with. Yeah, I was thinking like, you know, think like just, I don't know, in my mind, I was thinking like this huge wrought iron sculpture and then just like off in the, off in the corner is just this jar of pee <laughs> with <laughs> Jesus hanging out. You know, it's just like in the fact that it's you know, a gigantic photo, it's just, it's not as exciting. It doesn't even appear to be what it is on first glance. Right. So I'll, I'll put a link to it in the episode description for anybody who's not familiar with it. Um, although if you just Google uh, piss Christ. It's pretty easy to find. Search at your own worries. <laughs> We're going to earn the expletive tag on iTunes this week. 
It is a photograph, I believe it's 40 inches on the longest side. 60 inches. Is it 60 inches? Okay. It's, yeah, 60 inches by 40 inches, which is huge. Like, I did not, I could not fathom a photo. I don't think I've ever seen a photograph that big before in person. The biggest that I've ever printed is like three feet by four feet. So that's even, and this is printed in the 1980s. So this is like a chemical print before we had digital printing, before these sorts of things were relatively easy to do. You know, now you can, if you have access to a roll printer, you can, you can print at 44 inches pretty easily. You can go down to Office Depot and just be like, here, can you print off this very large photo of a crucifix in urine for me? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. It'll be 20 bucks. (laughs) Go try it. Um, So this this image, it is a, like an orange field, and it is a kind of blurry image of like a, a plastic Christ figure on a little wooden cross, and it is in this, this sort of orange field. There's light kind of fil- filtering through it. And the title of the piece is Immersion, and in parentheses, it's Piss Christ. It's part of a series that uh, Serrano did about immersing religious iconography into various bodily fluids, oftentimes uh, milk or cow blood, but there was also images of things submerged in semen and things obviously submerged in urine. And what this image was, was a very close-up image of this little icon of Christ on the cross submerged in a vat of the artist's own urine photographed it, printed it huge in this way that kind of abstracted what it actually was of, and then started uh, displaying it. At first, it showed with relatively little controversy. Um, It was well-received initially, but uh, around 1989, it started to gather some attention. And not the good kind. Sigh. So I guess we should talk about kind of what was going on in the United States at that time. So America is famous for underfunding its arts, right? And Mm -hmm. there is a constant string. Donald Trump, when he was elected president, promised to defund uh, the National Endowment for the Arts. If you think you've heard that name, but you can't quite place it, um, you've probably heard it in the tag of a PBS show. Often they receive uh, funding from the National Endowment of the Arts. Sesame Street, I think, is one probably that most people are familiar with, and but also like The Color Purple and several other prominent pieces of art have received some portion of funds from the National Endowment for the Arts. And this is not an uncommon thing. Most other nations, um, most other wealthy nations, have some sort of public fund for the arts where taxpayers fund you know, arts and culture in in that country. In Canada, there are a lot of musical artists that get funding from the National Endowment. Europe funds individual artists and art projects. Um, and here in the United States, public art is eligible for National Endowment. And it used to be that funding for a lot of individual grants, which is how traditionally artists pay to produce their work, right, because making art at this scale is really expensive. Mm-hmm. You you apply for grants, and a lot of those grants were funded directly or indirectly by endowment grants. And so in the 
1980s, era of Ronald Reagan, the era of the the really um, sort of cementing of, of the neocon movement, one of the things that they began going after very seriously was the National Endowment, this idea that it is wasteful, it is unnecessary, it is even un-American or amoral to be funding the the arts and the type of artwork that it that it was funding. And so there are a number of conservative politicians who were looking for art that fit that narrative. Jesse Helms in particular, if you ever see an article about issues around arts funding in the 1980s, that motherfucker's name pops up almost every single time. And so this piece ended up being kind of a flashpoint for that, that argument around the National Endowment. Hmm. So the... Important question, I think, to start is it's not controversial to say that it is disrespectful to put iconography that means something to anybody in a jar of urine, right? I, I think that most people would find that offensive. If, if, if it was something that you believed in, you know, and, and somebody did that to your icon, that'd be offensive. But of course, art and fine art in particular is never that simple, right? There are levels of meaning to any of these sorts of things. And so while on the surface, Piss Christ is offensive, when you begin to read into it and begin to read into the meanings of, of what Serrano was going for and what Serrano was sort of talking about, the argument that it is inherently offensive to Christians kind of starts to fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He was Christian, right? Yeah. Yeah. Catholic. Hmm. Yeah, quoted as saying, I've been a Catholic all my life, so I am a follower of Christ. (sighs) And the the pieces that he was doing were ostensibly about the commodification of faith. He's talking about how by making a little plastic Jesus, you know, that you can buy for a dollar or whatever, that in itself is amoral and and disrespectful, right? And, And so... You know, this is a sort of representation of of that feeling. But it speaks to the larger issue of the complex relationship that conservative Christians in America have with the funding of arts education. If there were an increase in arts and funding for the arts, an increase in arts education, then one could expect a broader worldview into the kind of complex analysis that is kind of required to appreciate might be the wrong word, but to question the art in a way that is goes beyond the knee-jerk reaction of, you're making fun of my Jesus, what do you think you're doing? You know, <laughs> And by defunding it, it helps perpetuate the outrage machine right. that comes with facing art like this in the public sphere. So it's a complicated relationship that the right has with art where they don't want to pay for arts education, but at the same time, there's a vehement neglect toward wanting to understand art as well, which winds up making this kind of relationship very, very difficult. Right. Outrage is a whole lot easier than... Nuance. Careful contemplation, I suppose. But a lot of it does come down to a simple lack of, of understanding mm-hmm. on the public side, I think, right? Of, of just not understanding how to look at a photograph like this and read it. It gets messy when you look at it, you know, on the 
sort of lawmaking side of it because I, I think it is dangerous to assume that those actors really have our best moral integrity forefront in their minds, right? <laughs> Th- these are these are most often men trying to make a career, and one of the easiest ways to make a career in, in this sort of environment is by latching onto some sort of controversy. And what is more controversial than, especially here in America, than defaming our good Lord Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Ignoring AIDS. There's that too. <laughs> Which Jesse Helms also did. Fuck you. A, a real... Um, bastion of morality that one (laughs) it's also like it's not uh, like even if the point of piss christ was like fuck you christianity and everything you're also like punching up at a large you know a larger organization which is really fascinating when the right is so quickly ready to go to bat for these large power structures and these like bigger behemoths that have are part of our life or have poisoned our life which is like i think jesus will be okay i think like you don't have to be offended for him i I think the pope will be able to sleep at night knowing that there was once a semi-controversial piece of art that existed and it should also be stated that the backlash to this was not universally christian right there were Mm -hmm a number of Christian thinkers that saw where this came from Mm -hmm. and where Serrano was coming from as a man of faith and supported the work, right? Right. The the backlash is relegated to the same groups of the religious right here in the United States in particular that come sort of into conflict with these sorts of things over and over. Why this is important and why I, I think that conversations around this and other topics that I'm sure will come up later on as we continue these conversations, is that it highlights the issue of assigning morality to art. A big reason why this piece is controversial is because it is considered amoral by the people who are against it, right? It it is amoral to submerge this iconography in this way. And the problem with trying to assign art in particular, but really anything as moral or immoral, is that that is completely based around one's own worldview, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to say that I'm not offended by this piece in part because I'm not Christian, right? This doesn't, there's no, there is no world in which this piece feels like an attack on me, right? And so in that way, it is not amoral. And it is important to highlight that the majority by number of people in the United States is shifting towards non-religious or or non-Christian, right? But these conversations um, especially at the government level, around morality and around what can and cannot be funded in this particular case by government money, centers not around morality, but around Christianity. And that is what the issue is here. And, uh, and along with the other pieces that, that Jesse Helms was striking out against. You know, he, he wasn't sheltering children from, say, violence committed by the U.S. military, right? He's mm-hmm. concerned about imagery that that corrupts children in a very Christian idea of, of corruption. And that, that's where this argument sort of comes from. Now, a part of me also wonders if the outrage that was generated by Helms and there was another senator at the time who was also kind of roped in with Helms, Diamato, I think, uh, Al Diamato. Yeah. Something that I've seen, I've been following politics since probably about 94, 
And something that I've seen throughout a lot of the Christian right, specifically when it comes to like the Christian outrage machine, is that a lot of said outrage is usually used as a means to fire up a base and to help perpetuate a certain candidate's desires to continue winning and to continue getting votes as opposed to the outrage itself, mm-hmm. as opposed to the specific thing that is being targeted. And I don't know if Helms or Diamato were reelected uh, after, you know, whenever they came up for reelection after 1989. Yes, they were. <laughs> okay. So it can't be overlooked that they stood to benefit from personally, they stood to benefit from generating as much public interest about this work and similar works as possible to help perpetuate their own agenda. Right. Yada, yada, yada. And by and large, I feel like by doing so and preying on people's ignorance and by telling people what to think about a certain work, especially just given piss Christ and the fact that without the parenthetical phrase of piss Christ, you can't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a big thing with this piece. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's a manufactured outrage in a lot of ways. I have a question for you, Chris, that you, maybe you have better context to is like, so I believe, um, I'm not great at American history, but separation of church and state hypothetically is a thing that exists in American government or is supposed to. What is the Christian view on that? Or are they just like, shh, inconvenient words, ignore it? Um, I mean, I can't necessarily speak for, for yeah. everyone, but <laughs> so it's an interesting concept, the idea of separation in church and state, because ultimately we live in a representative democracy where the people who vote vote on behalf of the general public. And if a majority of the general public that they represent are religious, then the representative has to kind of keep that in mind or that's a part of the thing that gets them voted in. And it's, I don't think that the, I don't think that we could ever really get to a place where there is a separation of church and state in the philosophical sense that we've, you know, our forefathers and founding fathers had really thought was vital (laughs) to the uh, proper running of a government. But Oh no. There's this really firm belief that our founding fathers were Christian, <laughs> which is not true as far as I know. Uh, uh yeah. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Yeah. And yeah. I and I believe he wasn't the only one. No, I don't think he was. Yeah, which Oops. you know, and the idea behind that is that, you know, while these the belief of uh, deism is that, yeah, there might be a God, but said God just set the world in motion and then kind of just took a step back and kind of let it all unfold. It wasn't, yeah, it's just like, (laughs) you know, Jesus take the wheel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He can't, he's covered in pee. Yeah. So yeah, like I've always heard of separation of church and state, but I've never seen it practiced ever (laughs) in my lifetime, at least. Arguably never in the history of this country. Yeah. And that's what I think, uh, what, oh gosh, the satanic church, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things that they've been doing over the past, you know, like 
decade or two to kind of like trying to push the boundaries of how much religion can inform our political discourse has been really, really great. You know, just seeing them get like, uh, you know, statues <laughs> installed in places <laughs> where you really think that you shouldn't have a satanic statue installed, you know, it's been pretty cool. One of my favorite Thomas Jefferson facts is that apparently he had a copy of the Bible that he had assembled where he removed all of Christ's miracles from it. (laughs) (laughs) The idea being like, here's a book about a good guy, right? This is probably closer to what happened. Um, (laughs) And so to have him as like a, a sort of Christian heroic icon was always really delightful to me. Oh, I did not know that. That is as shitty of a person as Thomas Jefferson was. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's his Snyder cut and we want it. It's one of those sort of legends that I have, that I continue to repeat. And it's been a while since I looked it up for its veracity. Well, you know, if we just have faith, it's true, right? (laughs) That's right. What is truth? I, I think that's a really good point too, especially when we, Jesse Helms is a really easy person to pin this to, right? He he was the most vocal, most vocal senator coming out against this sort of work and, and ran a campaign to defund the National Endowment. And a, a list of things that Helms was against, this is from Wikipedia, just to give anybody who's unfamiliar with him and his career kind of a sense of where he was coming from. Oh shit, let me pull this up. There's a big list. Yeah, it's it's in the uh, you know that little intro section on Wikipedia, okay. so it, it it starts out right there. But he his nickname was Senator No, right? It's sort of like a proto a proto Mitch McConnell in that way. And he fought what he considered to be liberalism by opposing civil rights, disability rights, feminism, gay rights, affirmative action, access to abortions, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and the National Endowment of the Arts. So an icon of of everything that is wrong with American conservatism, right? Mm. A man who is against things that even most conservatives at this point are roughly okay with. You don't run in, you know, no matter what personal viewpoints might actually be, you don't come across too many people these days that say the Civil Rights Act was a mistake, you know. (laughs) But here's a man who based his career on those sorts of movements. So when given a piece of ammunition like Piss Christ, you can imagine where somebody who built a career on that and who I imagine voted into office because of his viewpoints, you can imagine how hard and far he would run with that that little singular resource. Mm. Can you imagine if he had a Twitter? Well, he was alive to like, what, 2008? Was yeah, Twitter, so. Was Twitter around then? He probably had a MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> Starting to be a thing, right? Yeah. He had a secret MySpace emo band. Yep. <laughs> the nose. <laughs> and I wonder if Serrano knows how much he helped <laughs> Jesse Helms. It, you know, in the long run, it's just like, it's like, oh, fuck, I can't believe I got this guy elected. <laughs> Yeah, Jesse Helms should have sent him an endowment. Thanks for continuing my political career. It makes you wonder if there was ever a letter written. Like, hey, thanks thanks for all the help, man. Yep. XOXO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have done it without you. Yep. 
I I always thought that it was interesting that Immersion gets the flack that it does because it's not even the only piece Serrano did where he submerged Christian iconography in urine. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, he did a image of Madonna and Child, um, which I think is just called Madonna and Child. But they don't give a shit about woman. Was that in milk or was that in urine? That is in urine. I think oh. he did one in milk as well. Yeah, it was like combination of milk and water. I was trying to yeah. find photos and I couldn't find photos of anything because I just kept getting photos of Piss Christ. <laughs> just piss. And that's the fascinating thing about this situation, right? It, it is it is based on this one object, this one image that's, for one, part of a series that is arguably forgotten, right? Plenty of urine pictures in it. <laughs> All of them should arguably be as offensive. I, I would say the Madonna and Child is more offensive only because it has two characters in it instead of just one. But there's something about the iconography of Piss Christ that just gets people to latch onto it. It is an incredibly successful piece in and of itself that way, right? It, if the point of art is to, to elicit a reaction, I would say that Piss Christ is one of the most successful art pieces of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Oh, I found it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's just because it's called Madonna and Child or Madonna and Child 2 if it was like parenthetical, like Piss Family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I found t-shirts. Ooh. Oh, there's t-shirts with Madonna and Child on it. Wow. Oh. Hmm. Okay, but also Madonna and oh, Child. they're Supreme and- t-shirts. Never mind. Oh, fuck off. Uh, no, no, we've already said, <laughs> you weren't here, Chris, but we already said we will not be accepting Supreme sponsorships. Go fuck okay. yourselves. Even <laughs> if it has Piss Family on the front? <sighs> I say we make our own knockoff Supreme Piss Family t-shirts. Okay. That, that's the only... Uh, that's the only solution. Yeah. That's the only moral solution for it. We'll be taking orders... Sizes run from XS to triple XL. Yeah. That's it. Sorry, guys. Sizes for the whole family. We can we can <laughs> put them on Wednesdays. Make little orange onesies. <laughs> Serrano's work has also appeared on a Metallica album. His, oh. his image, Blood and Semen 3, is used as the cover of Metallica's album, Load. And, and Sorry, yeah. it's stupid. Um. So go ahead and uh, pirate that album. Yep. Wow. It all comes back to Metallica. Huh. Or Quentin Tarantino. Or Quentin Tarantino. Right. We'll find a way to put them in here today. So 1989, this is all happening. Same year as a major Robert Maplethorpe show went on tour. This is often kind of seen as the year that the National Endowment was really gutted, right? This is following a long stretch of conservatism and... American politics, powerful years of Reagan, George H.W. Bush would be taking office and sort of ending that reign. But the lasting effect is that the National Endowment gets this sort of rule. Um, it, it, it was passed, I believe it was, it was created before the Piss Christ controversy, but it really was like the solidifying factor in sort of defunding Serrano and then creating further arguments to remove money from the endowments. But it, the the rule is that the National Endowment for the Arts cannot fund work that is considered amoral or obscene. And Piss Christ and Maplethorpe, who both received endowment funding, Maplethorpe directly, but it should be noted that P- 
His Christ was not did not receive a grant directly. Peace had already been made, um, and part of a grant that Serrano received after the success of Piss Christ to continue making this work, part of that grant came from the National Endowment. So the National Endowment didn't directly pay for Piss Christ, didn't pay for Piss Christ at all, actually, and it didn't directly pay for the work that followed, but it was enough to sort of get tracked back. So now we have this rule that the National Endowment of the Arts can't fund amoral or obscene artwork. The issue being, what then qualifies as amoral or obscene? And who is the person or entity who makes that decision? I believe it's Congress, right? I think that oh, one of great. the, um, I can't remember <laughs> who was in charge of the National Endowment. Let's see. I'd like to see Mitch McConnell be in charge of the endowment. Oh, or better yet, Diane Feinstein. Or like, you know, oh. like <laughs> God. Oh no. <laughs> oh, somehow just as bad. They're gonna cancel Sesame Street now then. Oh. No, Sesame Street's owned by HBO now. So it's yeah. a private right. entity. It's already dead. Ugh. Well, not really. They've been putting out some great stuff. Like since it moved to HBO, like it's been pretty solid. Oh, they have money now. Yeah. They're they funded. Have, they have all that uh all that HBO money. Right. Get your HBO Max accounts while you still can. Fund Sesame Street. Please sponsor us. <laughs> John Oliver, we're talking to you. I'll take money from AT&T if it comes through John Oliver. So yeah, the National Endowment is, is funded through Congress. It is a separate federal agency, um, but Congress decides their budget. Uh, they get you know, they're tied to the U.S. budget, and so Congress gets to decide how much money— Power of the purse. Yeah, how much money they get. Um, and so that means that if congressmen and women believe that they are funding not art, whatever that means, they can pull money from it. And they do and have been for 30 years now. I hate to be cynical, but I wonder if, you know, maybe the things that are in the not art refuse pile— um, have a higher chance of being from non-white people and, you know, women and the queers and, you know, all the groups that just get shoved under the rug. You know, I could be wrong, but... Well, I mean, <laughs> history tells us that, you know, the marginalized people are always the ones who get the short end of the stick and are considered... Amoral. Amoral or immoral. But especially once you consider up until recently how white and straight and male Congress has been, you know, that's only beginning to change. Like the, that demographic is only beginning to change and even barely. Right. So at this point, like Congress having the power of the purse, do they also, so they determine how much funding the endowment gets, but do they also then determine how the funds get dispersed or is that a responsibility of the agency itself? I imagine it's the latter. I believe so. The chairman of the National Endowment is a presidential appointee as well. Okay. Mm. So they are appointed to a four-year term and confirmed by Congress. So, you know, if we want to go down this rabbit hole about how much elections matter, if you vote in a president who doesn't believe that the National Endowment should exist, they have the power to put somebody in charge of it that does not believe it should exist. Kind of like what happened to the post office over the last four years, right? DeJoy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's still there. Strangely enough. Yeah. Nobody else wants the job, maybe. 
I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, at this point. Just for the health benefits. <laughs> Move the packages. Give everyone the packages, please. <laughs> point A to point B, please. Thank you. Money, please. <laughs> Want to buy some stamps? Stamps.com, please sponsor us. Now introducing Piss Family Stamps. <laughs> Honoring great pieces of American art. A fraction of all sales goes toward the endowment of the arts to fund everything in the not art pile. It'll come out a few years later that we give Serrano no money for that. <laughs> Didn't even ask permission. Everything gets donated to uh, Jesse Helms. <laughs> like whatever foundation <laughs> he he did, founded before he passed away. The Jesse Helms Foundational Library <laughs> in South Carolina or wherever the fuck. Just full of LGBTQ literature. <laughs> great. <laughs> so it's important to note that Piss Christ has not gone away. Um, it is still being shown. I believe it had, it has continued to be shown since um, its debut, and it has been vandalized a number of times, including once in 2011 in Paris, where it was actually destroyed irreparably. the The image has been attacked by protesters, mostly Christian, and as late as around 2011 or so, um, as well. Christian groups here in the U.S. were calling on President Barack Obama to denounce the peace. So it it hasn't it has not gone away, um, and it is it still draws crowds. But it has been basically destroyed in its time out in the world. Which is interesting, considering like you take the artist statement and everything that Serrano's spoken about pertaining to why he made the piece and what it stands for. And then you look at the imagery of it destroyed and literally Jesus's face is smashed in, in the photo, which (laughs) just the irony. Oh, the irony is so sweet. It's unbelievable that kind of like the blind I guess, blind faith that people have and that they are doing the right thing. You know, as we've said several times before on this podcast, you know, people think that they're the heroes of their own stories. These people thinking that they're heroes, thinking that they're doing a just thing and without realizing it are destroying the likeness of this person or being or entity that they believe is their Lord and Savior, regardless of whatever bodily fluid he may be suspended in. Right. And then additionally... They are attacking a piece that they ostensibly agree with the politics of. They and Serrano are on the same page, mm-hmm. I would think, about the commodification of Christ. Yeah. It reinforces that idea, like, for Serrano at least, he's like, I was right, bitches. <laughs> and he could just get it reprinted, right? He could. Well. I mean, I don't understand how that works, you know, because like – if it's a photo and he has the negative, can he just like print it on another big piece of plexiglass and just keep making, have it keep making the rounds? Um, C printing is not an easily accessible thing anymore. I would imagine that Serrano has enough money to make it work. You can I read still some get of his chemistry. pieces go for 160,000. So, okay, girl, you so got the money. There you go. I know some, some poor people who were doing C prints in graduate school. So, you know, you can do it if the willpower is there. And I've, I I should clarify that I'm not 100% on the process that he, on the photo process he used to make these prints. 
Uh, I'm not 100% on the, the technical chemistry around it. I think that one of the interesting things that this brings up from a art standpoint, right, from a photography standpoint, is that question of, like, what is the artwork, right? We think about photography in the digital space as this thing that is infinitely reproducible. And, you know, we have a digital negative or we have a physical negative and we scan it, we can print that indefinitely. Film negatives don't have that same flexibility. Mm -hmm. Pardon the pun. And one, you can... you can only print a film negative so many times, practically. Every every time that you shine that big hot light through it, you damage it a little bit. But a lot goes into making a print of this size in color chemistry. You know, it is an actual artistic artwork. Like, it, it is a thing that has to be produced. You don't, you can't just hit print on a printer and print it. Mm-hmm. You have to calibrate the print and, and then and print it and develop it. Um, And so when a piece like this that is a traditional analog print gets destroyed, you know, it is akin to throwing red paint on Mona Lisa. Yeah. He could reprint this, but it will never be the same. Okay. You know, it is truly one of a kind. Like, thank you for enlightening me. I, I didn't realize that there was a degradation process that came with, like, printing something, again, especially in an analog medium. But in the backlash of the destruction of piss Christ, as well as all of the hullabaloo that surrounded it decades before in the late eighties has made it so that the, that imagery and what it stands for has attained a certain level of permanence. Right. That was not, I mean, I assume probably rightfully so that the enemies of Serrano and the people who opposed that piece do not want. It's like the Streisand effect. <laughs> it is that exactly. Like they will, they will never be able to wipe piss Christ off of the face of the earth because the more damage that's done to it, the more news coverage it gets. The more people start talking about it, the more it comes back up in our daily vernacular. Right. Arguably the moment that they attacked it, they made it permanent mm-hmm. and the Western canon, right? You signified this piece and this one particular piece as being important enough to vandalize. Yeah. Not once, not twice, repeatedly, right? They've made a martyr out of it. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? I don't care for the photograph. I never have. It it feels, and especially the way that Serrano talks about his work, which is sometimes just feels so wishy-washy and so like... It's up to you, which is one of the things that I just grinds my gears when artists do that. And so I've never been excited about the piece, but the, 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 what it has inspired, right? The sort of performance that it has become, the performance piece of putting a Serrano on display is really something magical and is completely detached from Serrano himself. And, and has everything to do with these Christian groups that are, as you so aptly put, turning this piece into a martyr, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many layers of irony. It's powerful. And it, and it makes the piece all that more powerful. I think that pieces like this are really important because when you're trying to get somebody interested in the arts, stories like this 
are really effective in piquing people's interests, right? Like, there's nothing better than a good story to get somebody to start looking at the history of fine art photography, mm -hmm. for example, right? So if you have a controversial piece, people will want to learn more about art if there are stories like this hiding in that history. That, it just excites me to no end. And it also shows kind of very much with, as we were discussing with uh, Francesca Woodman, right. that sometimes it's not necessarily the art, it's the story behind the art that winds up causing it to have so much success and so much lasting power. Totally. And I think that that is exactly what's happening here. I would argue for better reasons, right? I mm -hmm. think that <laughs> I think that the, this is a net good. What what comes out of this, but it's it's the same effect of of an an art piece living beyond the artist and and the art itself and inspiring people to you know great acts of violence yeah and also to reflections and really serious conversations about what qualifies as art that is the other side of this right when you when you have politicians and you have religious leaders attacking something like this and 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 launching a full-on attack on the arts, it creates the necessity to have the conversation of what qualifies as art, right? Which is a conversation we have to have every once in a while, at least, mm -hmm. preferably constantly. But nothing inspires that conversation than something like this. Because if you want to make the argument that Piss Christ is art, and I would say yes, it absolutely is, you got to talk about why, right? And conversely, if you want to say it's not art, you also need to be able to show your work, you know, come up with logical reasons outside of just like, he's a jerk. I don't like him. <laughs> that end of argument. This is mean to Jesus. And I don't like it. It makes me feel bad. One thing I want to suggest, and I don't know how, if anybody's ever done any digging, but what if Serrano wasn't telling the truth? Cause I don't know what the measurements were for the tank that he used, but it's a lot of pee. Right, yeah. It's many, many quarts of pee. And a part of me is wondering, what if it wasn't really pee? What if everybody's getting bent out of shape for something that this dude <laughs> lied about? It's just chicken broth. Yeah. <laughs> I put Jesus in a vat of apple juice and made this image. <laughs> Let it ferment with like a kombucha scoby. You know, <laughs> and just like, mm. like New York Times needs to do a deep dive into this. It's just like, was it really urine? You know, like, does Serrano still have the tank? <laughs> <laughs> like, is it just, is it just sitting like, in a freezer in a, somewhere? In, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. like some like really bad smelling like storage unit out in like Queens or something like that, you know, just like. Right. He is that, that guy with. Um, a bunch of jars of his own urine in the basement. Yep. Release the piss jars. Release the piss jars. <laughs> I mean, that really speaks to, and we touched on this briefly when we were talking about Madonna and Child, the power of the name and a piece of art. Mm -hmm. We have no indication that this is urine. We, you know, like it could just be shot through an orange filter. We just got to take him on his word. Right. And the thing that makes it important is that he told us that it was urine. 
Um, which again raises that question of truth. Like, even, you know, at this point, does it matter if it's urine or not? <laughs> yeah. Probably not. Nope. But people are going to look really stupid when they find out it was apple juice. It's a good thing they have no interest in uh, arts education. So or opening never know. the jar, you know. <laughs> or truth. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, who knows? When Serrano passes, maybe we will have um, all sorts of new. The hidden Revelations letters. about his work. Yeah. The piss letters. Be like, you know, communication between him and a mistress. Just like, they'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> I've created the perfect con. Or like, would it change anything if it was somebody else's urine rather than his own? How important is it that it is his urine? Yeah. Mm. There's some interesting symbolism there. If you begin, if you, if you do latch onto his idea that this is a that this is a critique of the commodification and the disrespect of Christian iconography right mm-hmm. if if he puts it in his own urine then that becomes sort of a conversation he's having with himself right if if we right. if we want to go down the road of like uh grad school critique with this for a minute <laughs> he has chosen to use his own urine as a symbol right and has identified it as his own urine explicitly. So it becomes unavoidable for that urine to be his urine, right? And and therefore, it is symbolic, not just that it's urine, but that it is his urine. And then it is a conversation not so much of what this means to put Christ in urine, but for him— the artist to put Christ in his own urine and then photograph that end result. Is he having a conversation with himself about the way that he personally commodifies and defiles Christ? Are we all up in arms about a conversation that Serrano was just having with himself about (laughs) his own relationship with, with God? Yes, probably, maybe. He probably didn't think about it that far. When he mm-hmm. did it. I just thought it'd be cool, guys. I had access to my own urine. <laughs> I'd been collecting it for years and I had no idea what to do with it. Like like all artists, I have just been collecting it throughout my entire career, knowing that I'm going to do something with it, but not quite sure what. And Also, so, dude needs to drink some water. <laughs> yeah, that for is real. real orange girl. And it is difficult to photograph... I mean, this taken on color film, you know, I don't know what film he shot it on. There's all kinds of color shifts and it depends on what kind of lighting and, and whatnot. But he did choose to print it that orange and display it that orange. So either, you know, it was a real artistic choice or <laughs> he is terribly dehydrated. We're worried about your intestinal health, not the content of your art. But of course, if he was saving it up, I imagine that it would change color over time. Science. I don't. I don't know what the color shift properties are on urine, but <laughs> I imagine it would get darker. That seems. That seems right. I don't know why. <laughs> hey Siri, does my pee get darker <laughs> the longer it ages? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about whiskey, for instance, you know, there's the. There's the angel share. The longer uh, whiskey sits, the more of the water is taken out of it and evaporates. Mm -hmm. So much like a fine dram 
of your favorite whiskey. <laughs> this is uh, some potent stuff. If <laughs> if our <laughs> estimates of him potentially saving his urine for over a span of time is true, yeah, it's some potent urea. <laughs> a barrel-aged blend. <laughs> <laughs> a 12 year vintage yep. oh, it was a good by year law, if it, by law if it's 12 year that just means that the youngest is 12 year it could have <laughs> smaller seniors of yeah. 14 or even like 25 you don't know this could be a lifelong project <sighs> this is why arts education is so important because this is what arts education is it's sitting around and trying to guess if it was or wasn't urine and how long it potentially sat before he put a figure of Christ in it. And if that's not something that every child needs foundationally in their education, I don't, I don't know what is. Give us a Peabody now. <laughs> Unintended. There's, there's also an interesting symbolism here that I am sure that I am doing the, you know, 12th grade honors English teacher over-reading into it. But there's a long history, including in the time that Christ presumably was alive, of using urine as a cleaning product, mm-hmm. especially for linens and, and, and that sort of Didn't thing. Didn't Romans use it to brush their teeth or something like that because of the ammonia? I'd always, I always always ter- heard that like prior to toothpaste and tooth powders that urine was used. Damn, they sure. breath stank. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, halitosis was invented in the 1920s to sell toothpaste, was it not? Oh. We can cut that out if it's not yeah, true. Yeah, but, but it's I think real. This, <laughs> well, the the idea of it as a disorder that right. needed to be corrected is a, a fairly contemporary thing. You know, it, before that, your teeth just stank and then they fell out. <laughs> Mason here with a quick editor's note on this point. While humankind has long been aware of how bad our breath stinks and come up with a number of solutions, some of which worked better than others, the history that I'm referencing here and sort of half remembering is that of Listerine. In the 1920s, the company pulled the term halitosis, which comes from Latin meaning bad breath, and began using it in their marketing materials. Before that point, Listerine had been sort of a all-purpose antiseptic, but their ad campaign created sort of melodramatic print dramas of the different ways that bad breath or this brand new medical condition, halitosis, could ruin your life. The only true and tried treatment or even cure was to use Listerine mouthwash. So while halitosis isn't entirely a contemporary concept, the idea of it as a medical condition with a specific cure, or even a medical condition that needed to be cured, is purely the work of good old advertising. So there's some interesting symbolism there too, right? Of like... Cleansing? Yeah, it's almost biblically accurate cleansing to... (laughs) To put the symbol of Christ uh, in a vat of urine, um, which would have been aged, right? If you were using it as a as a cleaning product. Jesus's final bath was in pee. You don't know. He was killed by Romans. He was. He really liked it. It was his favorite liquid to bathe in. It takes a lot of urine to wash a holy son. <laughs> that makes Trump dangerously godlike. 
So oh, no. we, should be, we should be careful. <laughs> also, um, urine-based pornography is illegal in Britain, so that would outlaw this piece from being shown. Really? Yeah, fun fact. That's where oh. they draw the line? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Don't ask me why I know that. I don't know why I know that. But, um, uh-huh. <laughs> sure. It's one of those facts that you learn and it just... It just sticks in Well, there. if ever I come across a trivia night where <laughs> one of the main topics <laughs> is about pornography that is or is not allowed in Great Britain, I'll be glad if I have Mason on my team. There you go. Yeah. Give me a call. <laughs> so I think it's telling. We set out to have a conversation about this piece of art in particular. Right. The, the episode was supposed to be about piss christ that's how i pitched it and it has been difficult to talk about the piece right and 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 even its wikipedia page it has its own page it's short right oh yeah it's really short yeah and there's been a lot written about the piece from an academic point of view but even those conversations and i was going to send you guys a couple of papers while we were doing research and then i didn't even want to read them so (laughs) (laughs) You guys didn't get them, but it, it, I think it's telling that that this piece that is incredibly important, even our conversation that that we set out to have about it, turns into a conversation really about everything that happens around it, and then its longer lasting legacy. The piece itself is eh. incredibly difficult to talk about because there's not a whole lot there. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's the cruel comedy of it all. That like. Couldn't have picked something a little more spicy and fun to get mad about. <laughs> but there's plenty to get mad about adjacent to this piece. Mm-hmm. And it, it points to plenty of plenty of things to be furious about. And I think that the fact that we're still having, we aren't, but culturally. The greater we. Yeah. Or, or the greater we are still having conversations about this piece in particular as a reason to defund arts in the United States is incredibly important. The National Endowment has paid for much more, arguably, much more offensive artwork and, and and removed funding from it in some cases. It's paid for artwork that has killed people. That's not where we draw the line. We don't draw the line at physically dangerous. We draw the line at this morally ambiguous danger, this, this threat of damaging our children and our women and our moral selves you can't propagandize death. Right. But you sure as hell can propagandize a crucifix and a jar of apple juice. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?